0: Great. Let me add one more welcome to you. I know many faces. I know many of you. Some of you will know me. As Matt said, my name's Tom. Some of you I've never met. So let me just say you are so welcome here. It's great to see you. I'd love to get to know you a bit later. Maybe find out your name to find out a bit about you. Um, my name's Tom, as Matt said. I don't know how many times I'm going to say that. It's probably the last time. I won't remind you. <laughs> What's your name again? Tim. I actually worked um, uh, a job I was in in London, Uh, my boss called me Tim for about three months. Uh, To convince her my name was Tom, Yes, Tom. Um, Celebrations, some celebrations going on, let's start with the obvious one, Ajax, of course. Yeah. Yeah, Ajax are into a European Cup final. Yes! Yeah, skin of their teeth, right? It was close. that's not the big one of course the big one is Saracens Rugby Club won a European Cup final now I'm like the only person here who cares about that but I thought I'd just throw it in there because it's not the big one either of course the big one Mother's Day Mother's Day today is Mother's Day so let me just no one desperately texting at this point no okay good I'm glad you have all celebrated mothers my wife's not here today. The mother of my children's not here. Chloe's not here this evening. She is at home being a mother, looking after our boys. She is wonderful, and I hope you all appreciated mothers today, the mothers of your children, your own mothers. Celebrations. One Psalm 103 that we're going to be speaking about this evening is a celebration. It's a celebration of who God is. It's a celebration of his character, his nature. It's a celebration of the way he interacts with us. We're going to read Psalm 103, it's, it's a, a longish psalm, it's going to be a longish preach, no I'm going to aim for it not to be a longish preach, at one point in my preparations i would written nine pages, and I was only on verse 12 of 22, so hopefully it won't be too long, no, it won't be too long, it won't be too long. Let's read this, Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenants and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all his hosts. His ministers who do his will, bless the Lord, all his works. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord in my soul let me pray father our prayer this evening is that we want to see you we want to encounter you we want to be changed by you lord we say this evening as we have in our worship we are in awe of you we are in awe of your incredible character We are blown away by the works of your hands. Lord, we say this evening, we want to see you as you are, Lord. We want to know more of you. We want to be changed by you. As your word goes out this evening, would we be changed? In the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay. I'm going to read one more thing to you as we get started. Now, this is um, the start of... A novel, shall we say, uh, written by my eldest son. Um, I, I, I'm going to say the working title is Ian, because that's what's written at the top of this page right here. Ian's a if you don't, Ian's like a very English name, Ian. Ian. It's the title. We're going to go with it. It's just chapter one. It's only a page. Here it is. One day, a spaceship crashed. In fact, right on top of Big Ben. Big Ben's like the clock tower. That's what we call the clock tower in London. Uh, out came a small alien with one eye and a bit plump. Splat. Do you like that? It's nice, isn't it? This was not space, it was Earth. But Ian the alien didn't know that. He simply walked off of Big Ben. He thought he was in a dream. He was seeing lots of things walking on two legs. First chapter of Ian. Literary genius, right? Yeah? I know. Big, big time. I'm trying to encourage him to write chapter two, because that was written some time ago, but he's, he's, he's very happy with chapter one. I don't think he wants to spoil it. Artistic temperament. Um, I, w- I want you to imagine Ian. I want you to imagine Ian uh, doesn't land on Big Ben. He lands on the Reichs Museum. He simply walks off of the Rijksmuseum, Museum. Splat. He walks through the Vondel Park. He walks in the back of this building, the Vondelkirk, He walks in right now and he looks around. And Ian wonders what on earth we are all doing here. Ian's seen all these curious creatures on two legs going about all sorts of different things and he comes in here and he sees us and he thinks, what are you guys doing? This looks weird. What are you about? And that's Ian's question to us. What are you doing here? We're going to have a go at explaining to Ian what we're doing here because he walks up to you and he says, that was an alien language. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. that's what I spent most of my week working on was that right (laughs) no Ian says (laughs) he says what what are you doing here because of course all aliens speak uh, English (laughs) (laughs) at least they do in the movies don't they he says what are you doing here and your job is to explain to Ian what we're doing we've got to be simple, we've got to be brief this guy's an alien of course what are we doing here I think we we could do a lot worse than the first few words of Psalm 103. What are we here for? To bless the Lord. Let's define that briefly here. We'll go a little further along this as we go along, but let's say bless the Lord means to express thankfulness and admiration to God. That's what we're about. We're here to bless the Lord. You know this word catechism? It means um, an attempt, it's an attempt to summarize the principles of Christianity in a kind of question and answer format. The one that some of us would be familiar with would be the Westminster Catechism, and it starts with something like Ian's question. It says, what is the chief end of man? Some of you will be familiar with this. We've spoken about this here before, or you'll have heard it before. It says, what is the main purpose? What What are we about? What are we here for? And the answer is the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In other words, bless the Lord. That's what we're about, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I imagine Ian's question following this statement, and rightly so, would be, why? Why? Now, there's no Ian. He's not. He's not here at the back, unfortunately. Except, there is. There's lots of Ians. There's probably not many Ians in Amsterdam, is there? But there are lots of Ians. There are lots of people who would walk into a meeting and say, "What are you? What are you doing? And why? Why do you worship?" Now I don't think people's question would be why do you sing songs together? Why do you gather together? Why do you listen to a speaker? I think people would be fairly comfortable with those kinds of things. I don't think people's problem would be belief in something either. I think people can wrap their heads around believing in something, trusting in something. and we'll speak about that a little bit more. What's weird for people is that we would worship God. Because people's view of God is one who is capricious, one who is angry, distant, warlike, one who is unloving, unjust. So they would say, why would you worship God? Why bless the Lord? Why express thankfulness and admiration? Maybe this morning that's your question, this evening, I've even written this morning Come on, Avery. Hey, listen, I'm going to say this morning a few more times. Let's just get over it, all right? If I say the morning this morning, just don't worry about it. I probably will because we meet in the morning every week. Maybe that's your question this evening. Maybe that's your question this evening. What I want us to do this evening, I want, it to, in, I want to introduce us afresh to the God of the Bible through this psalm. I want to introduce us to the, the God of this psalm. I want us to introduce us to this To our timeless God. Uh, And what I wanted us to see this morning is God, as he is, meeting us as we are. If you want a title to the preach this evening, if you want to take one sort of strap line away, that's it. God, as he is, meets us as we are. That's where we're going to spend our time this evening, unpacking that. The first thing I want to talk about briefly is the the writer of this passage. You see, this was written by, like many of the sons, written by David, King David. Lots of you will be familiar with David, but let me just bring you up to speed if you're not. David, he starts life as the eighth of eight brothers. The eighth of eight brothers, he's, he's like bottom of the pile. There's like seven before him. Seven's a pretty special number. David's like out of the seven. He's like eighth of eight. He's sent out into the field to look after sheep. That's what he does. And when like an important guy comes to the family and he says to David's, fam, David's dad, he says, introduce me to your sons, David's not even called. He lines up these seven guys and David's not even there. See, David starts right at the bottom of the pile. That story goes on, and David does get introduced to that guy, and we, we find out a lot more about David. Through that, David goes on to become the commander of armies. He's, he's like a superstar of his day. They write songs about David and his victories. There's a whole section in the Bible titled David's Mighty Men. I just love that. They're like the Avengers. Just like the Avengers. No, they're not. You can, you can read it. They're not like the Avengers. A bit like the Avengers. <laughs> this same guy manages to get himself on the wrong side of the king king Saul and King Saul comes after him and tries to tries to kill him Um, and David's best friend is Saul's son it's it's a whole mixed up kind of thing going on David later on goes on to become the next king He, he rules Israel as king he does great things He brings the ark of God into the city of God. He wins victories against Israel's great foes. He rescues the monarchy, which under Saul's reign was looking pretty shaky. He does terrible things as king. He conducts an extramarital affair, and in an attempt to cover it up, he has somebody killed, the the person's husband who he's having an affair with. He's publicly admonished for this. He sees one of his children die. He sees another one of his sons turn against him in open rebellion towards the end of his life. Why why am I introducing you to David to such an extent? Because David at the start of this psalm addresses himself. David's addressing the shepherd who became a king. He's addressing the, the triumphant warrior who failed in other areas of his life. He's addressing himself, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul and soul. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. You see, David, this man who has gone from the top to the bottom, this man who has known great victories and crushing losses, who has failed and triumphed, he sees an important part of who he is He sees that he's not complete in and of himself. He sees in himself a hunger for something more than his circumstance or effort could provide. You see, David the king who wears the crown speaks to himself and says, remember, it's not really the crown. The crown is the one that comes from God who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. This is all of us. This is all of us. We all seek something more. We all know we need something more than our own circumstance can provide. None of us ever can say enough is enough. I read um, a really interesting article recently by um, a historian named uh, Yuval Noah Harari. Um, he's a... He's a He's an Israeli um, historian, and and he wrote this article which was about uh, technology. It's about technology and the future. It's about how um, technology is going to take all our jobs, basically. He he says this, most jobs that exist today might disappear within decades. Computers and algorithms and so on and so forth are going to take loads and loads of jobs because computers can do it quicker, faster, cheaper. And he goes on to argue that the real problem, the problem will be, how do we keep the masses occupied and content? Now, we could um, have some concerns with that word masses right there, but I want to come to this word content. I want to come to this word content. I'm I'm gonna suggest that Yuval Noah Harari is in a small percentage of people who really enjoys his job. But, But my main problem with it isn't that. My main problem with this line of thinking is that Harari sees life like a, like a strong-link game. You know this idea of a strong-link game? Basketball is a strong-link game. In basketball, if you've got one outstanding player, you can win games. You can have two or three pretty average players. In fact, you can have two or three really rubbish players. If you've got one outstanding player, you can win games. You can have one strong-link who can win you most games. And he sees life like that. If I've got this one thing in my life, that's working, everything else is great. He says, if work works, then life works. That's his, his idea. If we're content in our work, we can be content. We can treat life like that. In fact, we do treat life like that. We look for these things to put our contentment in, to find our satisfaction in. We say, life is a strong link game. And yet, at the same time, Life feels like a weak link game. Football's a weak link game. Soccer, football, is a weak link game. If you've got one weak link, say your centre-back or your goalkeeper, they can cost you every game. And that's what life can feel like for us. If there's one thing in my life that's not working out, nothing quite feels right. I can't quite feel content. Satisfaction is elusive. To see us as we are, we have to see that contentment has to come from our all being satisfied. But the best job never quite feels enough. The lifestyle we long for never quite feels enough. The family life we foresaw never quite feels enough. To put it another way, we're all a bit broken. We bless the Lord for he's the God who meets us as we are. In need of completion, in need of satisfaction, God meets us as we are. Let me continue in verse 6. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his way to Moses. His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. David, in writing this psalm, speaks of uh, another great father of the Bible. He speaks of Moses right here. He made his way known to Moses. And he speaks of the people of Israel, he speaks of Moses and he alludes to a moment in Moses' story. You know Moses, right? born in captivity, an Israelite, hidden as a baby, adopted by an Egyptian princess, raised as a royal, sees the mistreatment of the Israelites, kills an Egyptian, runs away, meets God in the burning bush, sent back to Egypt. He brings the people out of Egypt, takes them through the Red Sea, in the wilderness, God provides food from heaven he says i'm going to take you into a promised land that's like chapters 1 to 31 of exodus and we're going to land in 32 where moses and the people of god are at mount sinai and at mount sinai moses goes up the mountain to meet with god and the people get pretty nervous you see you see, the people, they're kind of like stronglink guys, right? They're like, whoa, Moses is gone? Are you serious? What are we going to do? Moses is gone. It's panic time. And so they get all their gold stuff, and they melt it down, and they make a golden statue of a cow, a calf, a golden calf. And Moses comes down the mountain, and they're worshiping this golden calf. These guys are stronglink guys. They go, we need something to put our contentment in, something that is going to complete us. Moses comes down, and he sees this. This terrible thing. We think, that's just crazy. And yet, remember, this is what we do. This is what we do as people. We try to find something to put our contentment in. Even if we know in our heads, we're not going to find full satisfaction in work, in family, in... He comes down the mountain and he sees this moment. Let me jump you to... Exodus 33. You see, the calf's been destroyed. There's been recriminations and punishment. God instructs Moses to continue to lead the people to the promised land. Um, But Moses is concerned. And we come to this moment that David alludes to here, when Moses says to God, "'You say to me, bring up this people, "'but you've not let me know who you will send with me. "'Yet you have said, I know your name, "'and you have also found favor in my sight. "'Now therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, "'please show me your ways.'" This moment that David alludes to in the psalm when Moses says, please show me your ways. You know what God says? He says, the very thing you have spoken, I will do. I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. So it's here that we see God's ways. We see God as he is. Let's unpack this a little bit. All my goodness shall pass before you you cannot see my face for man shall not see me and live that's what God says what's this about why can no man see God and live you see here's what we know about God this is what the Bible says he's not like us he's holy he's holy 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 he's thrice over holy he's holy cubed he is apart from us and wholly different Where we are incomplete, he is complete. Where we go up and down, he is constant. Where we falter and fail and fade, he is good. When we say God is good, we don't mean God is good like pizza is good. We don't mean God is good like charity is good. We don't mean God is good like someone extending a kindness to us is good. No, we mean God is the very definition of goodness and all those other things find their definition in God, the one who is good. In him there is no darkness. He is good from top to bottom. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. It says in Isaiah 6.3, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. These words are spoken by an angel in a vision that Isaiah has of God. He says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This angel says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And at that, the foundations of this building shake. The house is filled with smoke. And Isaiah says, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the Lord, the the King, the Lord of hosts. I've been fairly gentle with us this evening. I've spoken of our brokenness. I've spoken of us treating life like a strong link game, our continued attempts to find something to derive our contentment from, and I've been alluding to something that we only see in full when we see God as he is. I've been speaking about what the Bible calls sin, You might wonder, are we making a shift here suddenly? We were talking about this relationship, God as he is, meeting us as we are, and now suddenly have you shifted over to talking about rules and regulations? Uh, Have we gone from talking about relationship to talking about religion? Let me come back to this uh, article I mentioned earlier by this historian. He goes on to suggest that the way in which we can make people content in a world without work is by filling their lives with games. He suggests that if we fill people's lives with virtual reality games where people can kind of get points and get to the next level, and we can, people will be content. That's his argument. And he suggests this will work because that's what we've been doing for millennia. In the article he compares religion to virtual reality games. He doesn't just compare kind of metaphorically, he says literally that's what they are. That's his view of religion, and maybe that's your view of religion. And maybe when I say sin, that's what you're thinking of, this kind of idea of not losing points, trying to get points to please God. If I keep all these rules, I get points, and I get to the next level eventually. This is not what God intends us to see. This is not the the message of the Bible. To see sin primarily as failing in a list of requirements is just not to see the full picture. Otherwise, how can David say in Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned? We don't sin against a list. We sin against a person. Sin is all about relationship. Sin, in essence, is breaching the first and greatest commandment, love the Lord your God. It's failing to see him as he is and acknowledge his kingship. Every time we sin, it is, with varying degrees of knowingness, a declaration of our independence from God. John Stott puts it like this, we have rejected the position of dependence which our createdness inevitably involves and made a bid for independence. Worse still, we have dared to proclaim our self-dependence. Sin is not a regrettable lapse from conventional standards. That's not what sin is. Its essence is hostility to God. So Isaiah, in seeing a vision of God, says, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So God says to Moses, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. How can we, who have set ourselves up as enemies of God, see the one who is holy, 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 and not be consumed, not be burnt up, not be obliterated by his holiness. Seeing God as he is means seeing the holy one. Seeing us as we are means seeing us as sinful rebels. But we're getting somewhere just utterly incredible here because God is not prepared to leave things as they are. While my glory passes by, I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand. If you heard this word, wrath, it's the righteous anger of God directed towards sin and sinners. It's the expression of God's holiness. If Moses stays on top of the rock, it's God's wrath that burns him up. So instead, God says, get inside the rock and I myself will cover you as my glory passes by. God, show me your ways, is Moses' prayer. And here we have this remarkable picture of a man hidden inside a rock as the glory of God blasts it. Instead of Moses being burnt up, it's the rock. Instead of Moses taking the full impact of God's wrath, it's the rock. Instead of Moses being obliterated, it's the rock. What's this about? This is God in his divine sovereignty showing us who he is In the very essence of his nature, this is the God who is love. See, this moment points us to something else. There's a problem here with Moses. God is holy. Moses cannot see him. God is love. God wants to reveal himself to Moses, so he hides him in the rock. There's a great problem for us. God is holy. We cannot come near him without his wrath completely obliterating us, because we fall short of his glory and are his enemies. And yet God is love. He wants us. He wants his people. So what does he do? How can God express his holy love? How can he love us in forgiveness without frustrating his holiness? How can he judge us as his holiness demands without frustrating his love? Here is the solution. God, in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus, he himself comes down. He himself takes the cross. And at his death, darkness falls over the land. The earth shakes. Rocks are split open. But the real action is happening up there on the cross as the true rock receives the full blast of God's wrath. He is obliterated there on the cross as the full-scale wrath of God is poured out upon him. And Where are we in all this? We are hidden in the cleft of the rock, his hand protecting us. That's how Paul declares we are hidden in Christ. Instead of us being burnt up, it's Jesus. Instead of us taking the full impact of God's wrath, it's Jesus. Instead of us being obliterated, it's Jesus. That's why we bless the Lord for he is merciful and righteous and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities, for as high as the heavens are above the earth so great is the steadfast love towards those who fear him as far as the east is from the west so far does he remove our transgressions from us, how far is that? how far are the heavens above the earth? they're not They're in a completely different realm. You go east, I'll go west. Not round the earth, but into space. When will we see one another again? We will not. That's how God treats sin. That's how God treats our rebellion. That's what the cross does. It's there at the cross that we see God as he is, meeting us as we are. That's why we bless the Lord. Let me continue, verse 13. I know I'm about halfway through the sun, but we are coming into land at this point. As the father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heaven and his kingdom rules over all. There is something fundamentally different in how we bless God and how he blesses us. And it comes down to how different we are, of course. He knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. When God blesses us, we are helped and strengthened and made better off than we were before. That's his... Nature works, what we're speaking about. His holy love extended to us, substituting our sin for Christ's righteousness. We are made better off. But God is the inexhaustible blesser in already a state of complete blessedness. He is whole and complete and satisfied in himself. We cannot help or strengthen or make him better off, so we can only do the thing that makes sense when we see God as he is. Meeting us as we are, we exclaim in humble admiration and thankfulness, you are blessed. God knows our frame. He sees us as we are. He sees our brokenness from his everlasting throne. As a father, his compassion is overwhelming. He comes as he is to meet us as we are. We so often do treat life like a strong link game. We're looking for that one thing to build everything around. In Christ, we find the true rock on whom we can build and never be let down. In Christ, we find the fortress in whom we can be utterly secure. Our cornerstone, our strength. And yet, we know that life often feels like a weak link game. If one thing's not working, it matters not what the rest look like. It looks like Romans 8:32 says this: "He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, with him, graciously give us all things?" In his great sufficiency, God did the hardest thing. He overcame this problem of sin by giving up his son. This is what that verse says. It therefore follows that he will, of course, go on in his holy, loving abundance, giving us all things. What does that mean? It doesn't mean an easy life, surely. I think it's later on in this passage it says we're like sheep to the slaughter. No, it means that God gives us all things that are good for us. Because he knows our frame. There's not a weak link in your life that the holy love of God cannot reach and transform. You see, God is steadfast. He is still the God. He is still God as he is, meeting us as we are. Wherever you are today, God meets you as you are. I just love that song we sang. I will lift my eyes and see you as the awesome God you are. That's what we are called to do. I will believe you as the awesome God you are. See you on your throne so high above, yet watching over me with love. Why do we bless the Lord? Because God, as he is, meets us as we are. Let me read you the last Three verses of this psalm before we end. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word. Obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let me pray. And I think Matt's going to come and Len's going to maybe lead us in another song. It would be great this evening if we could do this. If we could bless God, the one God as he is, who meets us as we are. Father, we say this evening, we are humbled that you, the great king, the holy one, would extend your loving kindness to us. We are in awe of you, Lord, and we say we wanna do the only thing that makes sense. We wanna say to our souls, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, bless the Lord, oh my soul.